I want you to go and make disciples of my name. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I've taught you. Jesus speaks these words to his apostles. He says, go and make disciples. And so we think about this idea of discipling. We think about this idea of being a disciple. We think, oh, it's so awesome to be a disciple of Christ. And yet, what does that mean? For some folks, being a disciple of Christ doesn't mean that they have to change very much. Or at least you don't see much of a change in their life. Uh, for some, they are disciples of Christ in name only. Others struggle to practice and be a, a faithful disciple of Christ. When we look at the New Testament, Jesus tells his apostles, this is what it's like to be a disciple of Christ, or this is what it, it means for your life to be a disciple of Christ. In Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, Jesus talks about the weight, the discipleship. I want us this morning to think about what Jesus has to say in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, about the cost of discipleship. Now, I suppose for most of us, when we go to the store, or we go someplace, and we want to buy something, we weigh the cost of it before we purchase it. Hopefully so. Uh, sometimes we get to the counter and we have sticker shock. Sticker shock. Shock. Uh, sometimes, especially when we go to buy a car, you have that nice little moment in your life when you think you're buying the car for X amount, and then the salesperson says, oh, yes, and we have these other fees on top of that. I'm sorry, what? And so you have to weigh the cost. Jesus speaking with his apostles after his encounter with the rich young ruler talks about weighing the cost of discipleship. This morning... I want us to look at that and think about that by considering what is Jesus really saying? What might be some of the cost of discipleship and what are the rewards? So let's begin by talking about it, considering what is Jesus really saying? Mark chapter 10, verse 28. As you look at this, you'll notice that it takes place uh, very quickly after Jesus has his encounter with the rich young ruler. Uh, the rich young ruler asks him, uh, what do I need to do to have eternal life. And Jesus tells him in, in, in verse 21, go and sell everything you have. Verse 22 says that he went away sad, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus tells his disciples, how hard will it be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? And he has this conversation with them about that. And then in verse 28, our text for today begins with Peter beginning to say to him, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. 
Here's Peter, and he's talking with Jesus, and he's hearing this conversation that Jesus has with the, with the rich young ruler, as some call him. This young wealthy man. And he's heard that Jesus says to him, look, go and sell everything you have. And when the man walks away sad, because he has so much, and this conversation takes place between Jesus and his disciples, and he says, look, it's, it's almost impossible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And they say, well, then who can enter the kingdom of God? In the back of Peter's mind, he's maybe not so sure of his own salvation. He's not for sure that he's going to make it. Because if, that, if it's that hard to get into the kingdom of God, maybe I haven't done everything I need to do. And so Jesus, perhaps to reassure Peter, begins to talk with him about what it is to be a disciple of Christ. This rich young ruler had followed the Old Testament law pretty well. He goes through with Jesus, and Jesus says, verse 19, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the rich young man is able to tell Jesus earnestly, sincerely, in verse 20, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. How many folks could honestly say all those things? Especially when you get to the part about honor your father and your mother. Right? How many of us as little kids haven't said something, or as young adults or as teenagers, said something that dishonored our parents? Or in our behavior, done something that has dishonored our parents? And so the young man says, look, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, look, one thing you lack is to go and sell all, all your possessions. Who then can be saved, the disciples asked. What's Peter really asking? We've left everything and followed you. It's a statement, not really a question. We've left everything. Is that enough? Remember, the comment is, go and sell everything you have. Jesus, is it enough? We've left everything for you. Now, I want you to go back in your minds and think about some, some scriptures with me. John chapter 1, there's Jesus. Coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. And he's baptized by John Next day, a couple of his disciples are, are with him. That is, John the Baptist. Disciples are with him, and he sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Messiah. This is the one I've been talking about. One of those young men is Andrew. And he goes and he gets Peter and says, Look, we found the Messiah. That was their first encounter with Jesus. And John tells us that John the Baptist hadn't been killed yet. When we go over to Luke's account, after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, here comes Jesus along the Sea of Galilee. He's doing miracles and he's preaching and he gets into the boat of Peter and Andrew. And from there he begins to teach. And after he teaches, he says, come, follow me. And they leave everything behind. They left their business. In fact, Luke's account tells us 
that James and John were in the other boat, and they were business partners with them. They were entrepreneurs. They were small businessmen. And when Jesus says, come follow me, they drop their nets and they leave everything to go and follow Jesus. When Peter says, Lord, we've left everything and followed you, he's not saying simply, you know, I changed a few things in my life. He's saying, I left everything. And now you're talking to this rich guy over here and he's followed the law. He's a great guy but he hasn't necessarily sold everything he has. I mean, Jesus, do you really want him to sell everything he has? Have I given everything that I need to give? And so that's what Peter's really stating. That's what he's really asking. Have I given enough? Have I become a true disciple of yours? I, I gave everything up. I gave up my business to follow you. Peter is looking for reassurance. And so Jesus now is answering his comment. Notice verse 29. Jesus doesn't say, look, unless you do these things. He's not saying uh, you have to give up these things. But he's reassuring Peter, if you have done these things, Something's going to happen. Something is going to happen. So what is it that some give up? Jesus says, look, Peter, I say to you that there is no one who has given up his house. There's no one who has given up his brothers or his sisters. There's no one who has given up his mother or father or his children. There's no one who has given up his farm for my sake and the sake of the gospel, that he'll not receive back a hundred times. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I know the sacrifice you've made. And Peter, let me reassure you that when you give up things in your life to follow me, there's going to be a return for you. I've shared with some of you the story of my friend Doka. Net Doka, while I was working on my master's degree, he was there at Freed Hardman with me, and Doka was a young man from Nigeria, but Doka uh, grew up in a part of Nigeria that was heavily Muslim. In fact, he was Muslim. His family was Muslim. But one day, Doka's walking uh, down the street in the, wherever he lived. I, can't, I think it was Joss or, or maybe another community near Joss. But as he's walking down the street, he finds a World Bible School correspondence course that somebody had dropped. And, and Doka picks it up, and he starts reading it, and he's intrigued. And he starts corresponding with the folks at World Bible School, and Doka becomes a Christian. And one day, Doka's walking down the street with his girlfriend, and a car tries to run him over because his family has put a hit out on him because he is now a Christian. And at some point, Doka comes to the United States because he wants to become a minister and go back to Nigeria. And he's there now, as far as I know, preaching the word in a Muslim region of Nigeria. When Jesus tells Peter, Peter, look, there are some that will give up their mothers and their brothers and their sisters for my sake and the sake of the gospel, you're going to have much more. What does it mean to give things up 
for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. This is discipleship. This sometimes is the, the cost of discipleship. There are some that are here who may have lost contact with family members because of their faith. One of the biggest things I hear people say as they contemplate becoming Christians sometimes is, well, what about my mom? What about my dad? He was the most generous person I, I ever knew. He'd give you the shirt off his back. Are you telling me that because he wasn't baptized, he's not going to be in heaven? I don't know anybody as good as he was. What are they wrestling with? They're wrestling with the idea that if I become a Christian, if I am baptized, and I'm saying that I'm dead in sin without that baptism, then this loved one that I admire and value so much, he died before me. died in their sins. In a way, when we encounter folks in that position, they're giving up mother and father and brothers and sisters to be a disciple of Christ. And for those folks, that is a hard decision because mentally they don't want to make that statement about mom and dad or brother or sister. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, I know you were a businessman. I know that you had your own fishing business. I know that you had business partners. But Peter, I want you to know that there are even men who are farmers in this agrarian culture that you and I live in, and some of them will give up their farms so that they can be my disciples. And there are, there are some that will even encounter persecution to be my disciple. The idea of persecution that Jesus states here, only in Mark's account does he adamantly say that some will have persecution because they have become disciples of Christ. But in Mark's account, Jesus also says along with this, they will have persecutions. In verse 30, the idea of persecution here means to be ostracized. It means a systemic way of being ostracized or, or being persecuted. And that's what some of these folks in the first century would face. And sometimes we face that as well. Some find it hard to leave family behind. Some face ostracism. Some face being separated by family to become Christians. Some leave behind occupations just as Peter did. And sometimes being a disciple of Christ means you have to leave some of those things behind. Some people have to leave a career or a job or a home to follow Jesus. Mid McKnight used to tell the story of a man out in East Texas, or West Texas, rather, who owned a bar. And his wife was a Christian. He never wanted to become a Christian, but at some point he just determined that he was going to become a Christian. And the very night that he was baptized, he went down to the bar and he boarded up the windows and he boarded up the doors. And he closed it down. And people asked him, why did you do that? He 
and said, because I can't continue selling alcohol and ruining lives and doing all these things if I'm going to be a Christian. I'm either going to be a Christian or I'm not. Sometimes there are those who give up everything to be disciples of Christ. And sometimes that's what we have to do. Sometimes there are folks that when they become Christians, they are giving up tremendous amounts of things in their lives. Notice the substance of what a person makes a sacrifice for. Jesus says again in verse 29, for my sake or for the gospel's sake. The idea is of giving something up because of or on account of making God a priority, choosing to serve Jesus. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Luke, it's, it's my namesake in Matthew, or for the sake of the kingdom in Luke's account. But here Mark says, for my namesake and of the gospel. Through the three passages, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for Jesus' sake, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, these are people who choose to leave property or occupation in order to follow Christ, to proclaim the gospel or to see the gospel grow, to see the kingdom grow. Remember the rich young ruler? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says you have to give up some of your wealth. You have to give up your wealth to help others, to follow me. And he wasn't willing to do that. Becoming a disciple of Christ means making God, making Christ, making the gospel, making the kingdom a priority in your life. Where are you going to place the kingdom of God in your life? Is it just something you kind of do on the side? Is it just something you're kind of halfway interested in? Is it something you just do occasionally? I love Toastmasters. That's just a community group, organization. They get together on a weekly basis and, and give speeches. I don't get to give enough speeches, I guess. So I like to go and do that and, and give speeches and that sort of thing. And, and to me, that's just kind of fun. But that's just something I do. Jesus says, you are making this a priority. This becomes a decision maker in your life. This is... This is a deal breaker for the things in your life. Are you going to consistently follow Christ? Are you going to consistently work for the kingdom? Are you going to consistently work for the gospel? This becomes a decision maker in your life. Jesus says that's what it is to be a disciple. That's the cost of discipleship, is to make this a priority so that it's at the top of your life. For some, then, the question of the cost of discipleship is giving up something in life in order to make God a priority. For some people, there is a high cost. And for others, it may not seemingly be as much of a high cost than what you give up. For some, becoming a disciple of Christ means giving up a lifestyle. People like to party all the time. People like to go out drinking all the time, go out with the guys after work, or the gals after work. People that are into that type of a lifestyle find they have to give that up. 
You can't go drinking and get drunk every weekend and, and live the life of a Christian. There are people that like to carouse around. Understand what I mean? You have to give that up. If that's the way you've always lived your life, what does it mean to you for you to give that up? You're giving up your drinking buddies. You're giving up the things that you've done for a number of years. And you're leaving that behind. Think about people that are in, addicted to narcotics and, and, and different chemical substances. That is a difficult thing to walk away from. They are giving that up. For those of us that have grown up in families that are Christian families, sometimes it's hard for us to understand what someone is giving up. We didn't have that background. For someone to say, you know what, I'm not going to go to a bar anymore. I'm not going to do these things anymore. They're giving up family or friends many times that they've had for years and changing their life completely. It's a tremendous change for some. For others, it's, it's, it's giving up certain types of sins that they've been living in for, for many, many years. It could be letting other close relationships go. Those relationships refuse to associate with you. Well, if you're going to be a Christian and say that you think that you're better than I am, I'm just not going to be your friend anymore. People give those things up. For some, it's living thousands of miles away from home because of their decision to become missionaries, to do mission work. Of course, another cost we've mentioned already is the cost of persecution. Jesus says here, some of you are going to face persecution. And again, that comes from a word that means to expel, to persecute, to hasten after, or to run out of town. Think about that imagery of friends and family that because you become a Christian, literally want to run you out. Don't want anything to do with you. But then Jesus says there are some rewards. Look at this again. Verse 30. But he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and farms, along with persecutions in the age to come. Or, or along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Sometimes we think about rewards only in the distance as being abstract, too far off, things that don't really count. And we tell ourselves, yeah, I know that heaven's out there. But Jesus says, no, no, no. In this age, you'll have as, as many mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. Right, depending on how long, how well you get along with your family. Don't give me any more moms. Don't give me any more dads. Don't give me any more sisters. Sorry, Adam. But is Jesus really saying you're going to literally have a hundred times, a hundred more moms, a hundred more sisters and brothers? Well, not in a literal sense. But think about the close relationships that you build with other Christians. Think about the blessings that you have because of those relationships. Think about the depth of the relationships that you have by being in the church. 
But even if Jesus doesn't mean that, what is Jesus saying? Look, you may give up some things, but you're going to have some real returns in this life. You're going to have some blessings. I'm going to take care of you. It may not be in the way that you think or imagine, but you are going to have some blessings now. You're going to have some blessings in this life, not just in the life to come. But right now, you're going to have some tangible things that you can hold on to. This past week, got a call from someone. They had a flat tire. Family out of town, family not around to be able to help, but able to call. Why? Because a relationship had been established. A relationship was there because of God, because of the church. Have you ever thought about that? If something happened, you had to call someone at 2 o'clock in the morning, who would you call? You would call Jay at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? And Jay would say, sure, I'll come and take care of that for you, because Jay's a good guy like that. Or maybe you might call Ozzy, I don't know. But we can do that with each other. Would you call someone from your office? Would you call someone that you don't really know that well? We ought to have a love and a relationship with one another. You could call Jay at 2 o'clock in the morning if you needed something. There are real blessings. And God really does take care of us. But Jesus says, not only in this age, but in the age to come, and that's the real blessing that we're looking for. The things that are coming in the age to come, eternal life, eternal life with God. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around but don't you know, as we look at the book of Revelation, we have this idea that there is a day coming that we get to go and be in the midst of Jesus himself, and he's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. And we get to live in our Father's house where there's many, many rooms and live with him forever. We don't have to deal with any of the junk in this world anymore. And what a blessing would that be? What a blessing that will be. And so Jesus says, Peter, I know you've given up a lot. There are many people that have given up many things. Some of them have given up their businesses. Some of them have given up uh, their families. Some of them have given up uh, the different relationships in their lives. But I want you to know, Peter, that those who have done that are getting a return in this life. But in the life to come, even something better. Yeah. There may be a cost to becoming a disciple of Christ. You may have to lose some things. You may have to be determined to lose some things in your life. But the rewards are so much better. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with the things that you have to give up in this life. Maybe you're struggling with relationships that are hurting and broken because of your faith, because of Christianity. 
But Jesus wants you to know there are relationships that are here because of that choice. And your life is better because of that choice. And in the life to come, certainly, you have an eternal life because of the choice to become a disciple of Christ. If you're here this morning and you need encouragement from your Christian family, maybe you need healing from your Christian family. Maybe you need encouragement, whatever you need. Won't you come? Together we stand and sing.